Today's scripture is John chapter 21, verse 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciple did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had, he had taken off and jumped into the water. The other disciples following the boat, uh, towing the net full of fish, uh, they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciple after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. It's been a while since I've been here, and it's really great to be back with all of you. And before we get into the text for today, I thought I'd just say a little bit about what my roles are. I have a couple roles in terms of working with refugees here in BC, because during the message, I hope to actually talk a little bit more about what other people are doing, both in BC and across the world. So I actually have two roles, but they overlap. So the first is with the Christian Reformed Churches of BC, and the second is with World Renew, which you may know as sort of the development agency of the Christian Reformed Church, used to be known as the Christian Reformed World Relief Committee. And that role with World Renew is quite new, actually. So you may or may not know that refugees come into Canada three different ways. Um, one of the ways is they receive their refugee status overseas. So overseas, they go through a series of very intense interviews in which they are um, basically needing to prove that they are unable to return to their home country for reasons of persecution and conflict. So in order to be a refugee, you must be outside your home country and prove that you cannot go home. So you have that status in another country 
and basically the government of Canada invites you to come here and they say the government will provide your support for your first year in Canada. So that's known as a government-assisted refugee. That's one way. The second way is you have that refugee status and a private group, so a church group or a group of five Canadians or a community group or another organization or another religious group, they basically agree to provide your support for that first year in Canada. That's called private sponsorship. There's a few ways that happens. And then the third way is refugee claimants. And that is where you don't have the status until after you arrive in Canada. So you arrive in Canada and then you ask, you basically ask the government for that status. So then you go through that very intense interview process here in Canada to show why you, it is not safe for you to return home. So then you're called a refugee claimant until your claim is approved. And to, if it's approved, you're called a refugee. If it's denied, you are unfortunately sent home. You can appeal it, but you're sent home. So in my role with the Christian Reformed Churches, I work primarily with government-assisted refugees and refugee claimants, helping to offer a ministry of presence out of First Christian Reformed Church in Vancouver and helping to walk with those two groups as they settle in other parts of the Lower Mainland. And then with World Renew, I work with refugees who are privately sponsored. Actually, I work more with churches who are privately sponsoring. So that's a new role for me. And I'm working, helping churches um, follow some of the government regulations around that, which are designed to protect refugees, uh, helping churches to discern if they would like to sponsor, and helping walk with churches as they engage in that. So um, I know it's new for some people to hear about that. I'm happy to talk with any of you about it afterwards. But those are basically my two roles, and they do have a lot of overlap because it really is the bigger question of what does it mean to welcome as the people of God, and what does it mean to welcome specifically people who have come from those sorts of situations that refugees come from. So now we'll get back to the text. So some of you might be wondering um, about the text that I've chosen this morning, because as most of you know, we are currently in the season of Lent, so the season of journeying with Jesus towards the cross. But you might also know that the story that we just read actually takes place after the resurrection. So it does seem a little bit like I skipped through Lent and just completely over Easter. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't forget where we're at in the church calendar. Instead, I am thinking about today as a little Easter. So some of you might know that in some parts of the Christian tradition, throughout history and around the world, the Sundays during Lent are considered to be feast days. So if you're fasting from specific kinds of foods during Lent, on Sundays, if you would like, you can actually choose to eat those foods. And the reason is, is that feasting on Sundays, it's meant to be a glimpse of Easter. It's meant to be a glimpse of the kingdom of God. So little Easter's are meant to remind us of what the resurrected life is, of what our hope is in the middle of Lent as we journey to the cross. And I think that this passage in John gives us one beautiful glimpse of the resurrected life of Jesus and that life that he offers us. So the central character, let's see if this works. So the central character in our story today is Simon Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who we usually just call Peter. And I chose this picture of him 
because I think he actually looks a little bit disturbed here. And it makes sense why he looks disturbed. I don't know if the artist meant for that, but I see a little bit of uh, sadness or disturbance within him. Because one of the last times that we encountered Peter was just after Jesus was arrested, when Peter stood in the courtyard and denied Jesus three times in a row. And not long after this denial, Jesus was crucified. So you can imagine that Peter is feeling pretty bad. But he's also maybe feeling a little bit confused. Because Peter, at this point in our story that we just read, he actually knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has already appeared to him and the other disciples two times. And though they've been a little bit surprised and overwhelmed, they've also heard Jesus talk about forgiveness. And Jesus has told them already that he's sending them out to continue his work in the world. So Peter knows that he's supposed to be doing something for Jesus here, along with the other disciples. But at this point, he still seems a little bit unsure of what he's supposed to be doing. And I think for him especially, things still feel unresolved. He hasn't had a personal conversation with Jesus really yet, so he's still got this memory of this denial in his head. He's still feeling very broken. So in the middle of all of this, it seems that the disciples decided to do what I think that many of us have a tendency to do when we're feeling a little bit lost. And they start looking for something familiar. They're like, what do we do? And they're thinking, well, let's do something that we know, something we're confident at. And so for them, that was to go fishing because they had all been fishermen before they started following Jesus. However, that's what their boat might have looked like. It's not a good night out on the water for them. They don't catch anything. The sun begins to rise, and they have no fish, and they are exhausted, and they're hungry. And then John tells us what happens. A figure appears on the shore. He works a miracle. And as the disciples pull in a net full of fish, they realize who that figure on the shore is. But Peter, so they're still out on the boat, but Peter, who's still feeling broken and is now also tired and hungry, he can't wait. He jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. He swims to Jesus. It's as if he knows that he's swimming towards his reconciliation and his healing. So the spoiler alert is that later on in chapter 21, after what we already read, a conversation will happen between Peter and Jesus, a conversation that will fully restore Peter, that will remind him that he is the one that Jesus said, you are the rock upon whom I'm going to build my church. But before this, what does Jesus say to him? He says, See if it works. come and have breakfast. Jesus sees Peter and the other disciples. He knows they've been out on the boat all night, and he knows that they're hungry. So he invites them to sit with him, to eat with him, and to be fed. Jesus knows, of course, that they are also emotionally, socially, and spiritually hungry. And Jesus is going to walk with them in all of that. But he also knows they're physically hungry. And Jesus, fully God and fully human, understands what that hunger feels like. That fish and that bread cooking over that fire, 
and that breakfast and the time spent eating it together. This is only a small part of Jesus' bigger invitation to his disciples, but it's an important part. For Peter, it's the beginning of his healing, and it's the beginning of his transformation. We could spend actually a whole sermon on the importance of shared meals in Jesus' ministry. There's feeding the 5,000, or eating with Zacchaeus the tax collector, or of course there is the Last Supper at Passover. These meals are times spent together in the very good and physical act of eating. But like with Peter, these meals are always invitations to something more and something bigger. Because God sees each one of us as whole people, physically, psychologically, socially, spiritually. And for each one of us, God wants our wholeness and our restoration. Even and especially on the most exhausting days and nights where our nets are coming up empty, Jesus is always standing on the shore, drawing us back to him. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've denied him, no matter how broken we are, Jesus always continues to invite us to breakfast. And from breakfast, he invites us to a transformed and resurrected life with him. But God, of course, does not only want this resurrected life for him, and he doesn't want it only for us individually, for us ourselves. He wants this transformed life so that we can work with him, so that we as the church can live out our resurrected lives for the life of the whole world. Jesus' invitation starts with calling us into the shore and ends with sending us back out again in the power of the Holy Spirit. He brings the fish. He provides us the breakfast. And then he sits with us, and we learn from him. We are restored by him, And he invites us to be part of his renewal of all of creation. But he reminds us, as he reminded the disciples, that it's not a call to do the work on our own. It's not a call to exhaustion or burnout or never-ending guilty trying to get things done. And it's not a call to put ourselves over here as the restored people who are helping the broken people down here. And instead, it's an invitation to all of us who are broken people, but all of us who are capable of transformation. And it's a call to join in breakfast and to invite others for breakfast. And I'm always wondering, I mean, I think I'm challenged constantly in the work that I do and just in looking around, what does this invitation look like? Because we are not Jesus. We don't transform other people. We are transformed and we're invited into transformation. So what does it look like to engage as broken people with other broken people? But especially if we are people who are broken, but we also have privilege. That privilege looks many different ways. It can be financial privilege. It can be citizen privilege to be Canadians. It can be privilege of race or ethnicity or nationality or gender or many different kinds. And what does it mean to acknowledge that and to ask what that means as we work with Jesus on transformation. So a few years ago, I came across an image that's kind of always running through my mind and challenging me. And I thought about it again as I looked at this passage. 
So in this picture, we so often start at number one. We have to start at number one. We could think about number one as that invitation to breakfast, that invitation that Jesus offers us, that invitation that we offer to others. It's that act of hospitality, that place where we start by doing. So we, for example, if we think about refugees, we invite them in. We say, we're going to help you learn what life is like in Canada. We're going to maybe invite you for dinner. We're going to drive you to your doctor's appointments. We're going to translate for you or help you find a translator. And we're going to help you find English classes. And there's maybe a checklist of things that we're doing. But as we sit with refugees, as we eat with refugees, as we spend time with refugees, and as we are both transformed by our relationship, the hope and the prayer, and really I think the call of Jesus, is that we start to move towards number two and number three. So you could see on the bottom, we move from doing, and we move towards being. So we work towards solidarity with other broken people. We work towards standing with them, towards understanding who they are, towards learning their names and their faces and their stories. We work towards celebrating with them in their good times, and we work with mourning and lamenting with them on the many things that they have lost. And we begin to share with them the things that we celebrate and the things that we lament and mourn. And the hope is that as this transformation continues, we move towards mutuality. We move towards a place where we can say to other broken people, we need you. We want to learn from you. We want to do things with you. We want to be vulnerable with you. Just as Jesus sits with us in that long journey of transformation, I think he calls us to sit with others, not only refugees, but many other, to sit with them, to learn with them, to learn from them, and again, to be transformed together. And I think that for the 60 years of World Renew's existence, they've been trying as hard as they can to live into this. It's not easy, they've not done it perfectly, and I think they would say they're on this lifelong journey of trying to understand what this means. But they're trying, as World Renew says, they're trying to live into changing the story. They're trying to change the story from us up here helping other people down here, into doing with others, into learning with others, to model Jesus' invitation to sit together, to learn from. So as an organization, as they challenge themselves in this way, World Renew envisions a world where people experience, oh, sorry, hit it again, where people experience and extend Christ's compassion and live together in hope as God's community. As I already said, there's no us and them. There's no broken people over here and whole people over here. There's no helper and being helped. Instead, there is a vision of a community that is working together, that is trying to live out together what the hope of the resurrection life is. World Renew also talks a lot about changing the stories of hunger and poverty and illness. And this is part of that changed story. Again, inviting people affected by natural disaster, by poverty, by conflict, conflict, by unjust systems and structures 
into being part of living justice, loving mercy, and serving Christ. So changing the story is to be compelled by God's deep passion for justice and mercy, and to join communities around the world to renew hope, reconcile lives, and restore creation. So it is to be agents of change together, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that I have personally seen this happen is in the middle of the horror that we see in Syria. And it really is a horror. Every day we hear more. You know, in the last few weeks alone, almost a million people have been displaced. But I don't want us to see Syria or Syrians as a place or a people without hope. Because God is at work, even as we lament the forces of evil that are still present in our world. So the conflict in Syria, you might remember, remember, erupted in 2011, but it actually took some time for the rest of the world to really see what was going on. So as millions of people fled the country, mostly to Jordan and Lebanon at first, World Renew realized through its contacts in the Middle East and its experience in other conflict zones that there were going to be deep physical needs among Syrians who had suddenly found themselves refugees in countries that often had such deep need of their own. So, World Renew got to work. But they didn't do it by flying plane loads of supplies or hundreds of American and Canadian workers in. Instead, World Renew turned to the agents of change who were already present in those countries. They actually turned to the local churches. They turned to the churches, to Christians in Jordan, Christians in Lebanon, and Christians who are still in Syria. And they asked, how can we partner with you? What are you seeing on the ground and what can we learn from you? So World Renew said, we have certain physical resources that you might not, money being one of the biggest ones. But we need you as people who are part of this community, this Middle Eastern Christian community. We need you to pray with us and we need you to lead us and you need we need you to help us best discern how to be a part of God's work here. So they sat and they listened and they prayed and they discerned together. And then they began to work together. So the most immediate need at that time was food aid, was direct food aid, because people had just fled with very little, as Christina talked about this morning. And that's an area that World Renew has a lot of experience in, especially through its partnership with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. So World Renew, through its local partners, began to work in this area, and they began to invite us, Canadian donors, into that work. So in 2013, before I actually worked for World Renew, I traveled to Jordan and Lebanon with several others, uh, including a representative from World Renew, and they had invited us to go with them to learn about the work being done there so that we could come back and invite Canadians into this work. So I took these photos on that trip in 2013. So here you can see uh, one of the food boxes that was being distributed. So all of the supplies were bought locally. All of them were assembled locally and distributed by local partners on the ground out of church distribution centers. And they were either brought over the border into Syria or they were given to Syrians who were living in Jordan and Lebanon by Jordanian and Lebanese churches. So it started with these food boxes, these very basic 
physical necessities, but it extended into relationship. And it was relationship offered by partners who are there for good, who are part of the community and are not going anywhere. And as I talked with people, Christian and Muslim, who had received the food boxes from the churches, so many of them talked about these boxes as being so much more than food. They talked about the boxes helping them remember that they were not forgotten, that they were not forgotten by the Jordanian and Lebanese churches, and that they were not forgotten by the churches in Canada. They talked about this food giving energy to their kids so that their kids could actually engage in school. They talked about, uh, one woman talked about, you know, how just incredibly angry her husband had been at the situation they were in, and anger that was just exacerbated by his hunger, his physical hunger. And once that physical hunger was met, he could start to begin to imagine, okay, how am I going to be working for my and my family's future now? And they talked about these boxes showing them that the church was a safe space, a place they could return to, a place where they were seen and loved and invited in. Now these boxes, they can't stop a war and they can't make a home for so many people who have lost theirs. But they are one step and at that time they were the first step in starting to change the story for so many refugee families. And as these boxes kept being distributed through World Renews partners, and as these partners journeyed with Syrian refugees, they realized that, tragically, many, if not most, of these displaced Syrians would not be able to return home. As World Renew sat with their partner churches and with Syrians themselves, they saw that refugee resettlement to countries like Canada was going to be need to be part of the ongoing story. And we remember that right around 2015, 2016, suddenly this really came into the Canadian consciousness where we started talking about accepting very large numbers of Syrians. And so as World Renew came to that understanding, they said, okay, well, we're gonna go back to our partners in Canada, churches like you, and we're going to invite some more people to breakfast. We're going to invite some more people into this transformational work. And they looked around at churches in Canada and saw what they already knew, which is that churches here, Christian Reformed churches and many other churches, have been involved in the sponsorship of refugees for 40 years, four decades in which we have been working from moving from doing for refugees to being with refugees. And many churches in our community will talk about that. They'll talk about their current refugee committees being made up of people who came as refugees themselves in the 80s, in the 90s, from so many different stories. And so all of these people can tell these amazing stories of transformation. And so when World Renew said, we have this call again, so many churches across Canada of so many different denominations said, we're ready. We're ready to receive this invitation, and we're ready to work with refugees. We're ready to work, to participate in the work that Jesus is doing. And one of the women who has bridged actually both of these worlds is Besma. So Besma is an Iraqi Christian, and she came to Canada about four years ago, sponsored by a church in Langley. And she came, as many other refugees do, with very little 
with, with her husband, um, having left everything and their whole family behind. They came to a place they didn't know. And of course, the refugee group at the church in Langley, they spent a lot of time at the beginning doing four, helping her find a home, helping her and her husband get into English classes, helping them do their paperwork, helping them navigate the city. But as they journeyed with Besma, they learned so much with her. As they spent time with her, she began to teach them. And the people who sponsored her now have told me so many times that they have no idea what they would do without Vesma. Because since they sponsored her, this church has sponsored a number of other families. And Vesma has been a key part of the church's ability to do that because she's so incredibly involved in welcoming and sharing her skills and her knowledge and her experience to help welcome families from Somalia, from Syria, from the Congo, from Myanmar. And she has become such an integral part of what they do. Jesus has empowered her to continue in that welcome. And I see her every once in a while, and every time I do, I'm so incredibly encouraged by her. There's still so many challenges she faces as she works to get members of her family here, as she works to, her and her husband work to um, get really settled on their feet. Feeling at home here, integration here, it takes a long time. Any of you who came to Canada as newcomers, you know that it's not just one year or two years or three years, it's five years, it's ten years. So she's still on that journey, but in the middle of it, she is being transformed and empowered by Jesus. And she's an amazing part of this church, too. And this picture was actually taken at the 40th anniversary of private sponsorship that we had in Surrey in October. So as we all have go out of here today, with the story of Besma, with the stories of the churches in Lebanon and Jordan and Syria, who are still on the front lines of so much of this work, I wanted to just remind you that each of us has a standing invitation to breakfast. Jesus sees the hunger that each of us carries. Jesus sees the brokenness that each of us carries. Jesus also sees the incredible gifts that each of us has and the ability that we have to, to invite others for breakfast, to be transformed through being with Jesus and to be transformed by being with others. And he invites us to receive his invitation and then to go out and extend it. And that is my prayer for each one of us as we continue on this journey to the cross. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here among us today and always. We thank you that you are present here in Coquitlam. We thank you that you are present in Syria, in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Turkey in the places of conflict and war and violence and poverty and natural disaster around the world. We thank you for the work that you are doing in those places, even if it's as small as a box of food or an invitation to breakfast. We pray that we will participate in that work, that we may grow in knowledge and love of you, and that our lives may be lived for the life of the world <coughs> and with the hope of your resurrection and your new creation. 
In your strong name we pray. Amen.